Well, good morning, Harvest. Thank you, worship team. What a thank you so much for leading us in worship. That was. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Brian Laird and I serve as one of the elders. And in fact, I'm, I'm the chairman of the elder board. And I just wanna welcome all the campuses that are joining us this morning and everybody online. Um, I um, have the opportunity to be up here with the elders and the campus pastors as we're gonna pray over Pastor Jeff. We are so thankful. In fact, a couple months ago, I, I had the privilege of announcing that we hired Pastor Jeff. And today I have the honor of praying, over, praying for our church and praying over him as he starts his ministry here. Um, so I would actually like, as we move forward, I would love if you would just, I, I, sorry, wow, a little verklempt. Um, so I would love it if you would pray with us. <laughs> Thank you. I, I would love it if you would pray with us. If you would just reach out um, and join us in prayer as we go to the Lord and just ask him to bless our church and and. Uh, bless Pastor Jeff and his family as they come. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this day. Thank you for the worship that we've enjoyed, Lord. But Lord, most importantly, you have sustained us through so many things. You have blessed us with faithful servants to lead us each week in preaching of your word, Lord. Lord, you've moved in answering our prayers for whom would lead this church. And that man stands here today, this morning with us, Lord. We are thankful for how many ways you have blessed us and answered prayers. Lord, Ephesians 4, 11 and through 13 says, And he, that you, Lord, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. O oh, Lord, we just ask that you bless this man. Bless him and his family as they move here. Work out all those details. Lord, will you bless him with endurance? Bless him with wisdom and grace. Lord, will you bless him as he starts to lead and shepherd our staff and us as a congregation? Lord, will you bless him as he equips us for the work of ministry? Will you bless him as he preaches your word today? And Lord, as you will it for many years to come. Lord, as a congregation, will we open our hearts and minds to what you will have for us from your word, Lord? Will we love and support this man and his family? Will we continue to love one another as you've commanded us in the great commandment? Lord, will we not put this man or this church before you? And we will serve you and only you. So Lord, we ask as you bless this church and this man, as we glorify you through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, man. Well, here we are. It's been a while. I'm really... Uh, thrilled, actually, to be here. You have no idea. It's been uh, a long time coming for me. I've sat in quarantine in Canada for several weeks because I had to visit here, and apparently that's against the law. So, uh, <clears throat> so yeah. Uh, I do want to say hello to all the campuses as well, as folks in Aurora and North Shore and Rolling Meadows and the Chicago Cathedral. Also, at Crystal Lake, I actually 
went out to Crystal Lake uh, for the second time in my life uh, on Friday night, and I told my son, let's just drive in, and there's cars there, and so we got out and walked around for a little bit, and uh, they thought, I think we were trying to rob them. Uh, but then a couple of the staff members said hello to me, so I was really excited to say hi to Brian and Abby Bradshaw and uh, Conley, whose last name I can't remember, but uh, 23-year-old youth guy. Loved talking to them. It was fantastic. I got to tell you, you guys are way nicer than you should be, all of you. I, Midwestern hospitality has already struck me. Uh, I'm a little cynical, so I'm like, yeah, you're hiding something, and I'm going to find out what it is soon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, listen, you're going to need a Bible. Uh, you're going to need it, and you're going to have to open it to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 1 to 6 today. So one of the churches that I, I used to work for was in New Zealand. I, I lived there for seven years, and uh, for five of those years, I was the pastor of a, of a little church called Hope Community Church. I was the teaching pastor there. Uh, the church did not have a lot of money, and we had a few staff members, and so we needed to figure out creative ways to pay our staff. And one of those creative ways was that every few months, we would go and we would clean out the chickens. We would have to clean out the chickens out of the barn, uh, and then we'd have to re restock them. I know, this is, that was part of my salary. You'd go and you'd clean the chickens out, and the guy who we did it for would pay the church a certain amount of money. And so you always felt like, I probably should go and be a part of this. And so you would. I have never cleaned out chickens before. Uh, I used to think chickens were lovely animals until I tried to clean out the chickens. Uh, they, they are mean. They take their little claws and they, their talons and they, and they scratch you all up over. I remember coming back to my house after this and I would walk into the house because I... And my wife would say, oh my goodness, you need to stand in the garage for a while because you stink. Because they do. They defecate all over you. They're horrible things. Uh, they try to peck your arms while you're trying to move them into the new cages and that sort of thing. Sometimes you drop them, though. Like when, when you're restocking them, you take them out of one place and you shove them into the new cages. I know, it's, it's not free range, okay? Sorry. But you stuff them into these cages and uh, sometimes they fall, they fall to the ground. And uh, they stand there for a minute and look around and realize that they're completely free. And so they take off running, because you try to grab them, they take off running, and where we were, they, they, you'd keep the, these big doors wide open at the end of the barn, and these chickens would go to the edge of the door wide open, right? And they'd stop. For no reason at all. Like freedom is beyond the door. They are free chickens. And they stop. And you can walk up to them, grab them, and then they start pecking you again. What is that? Like, their status is free, foul. But they're acting like they're still caged. So here's the moral to that story. Uh, don't be a chicken. <laughs> this is what Ephesians is basically about. Your, your new status or your new standing in Christ, the fact that he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus, that, that fact changes you from being caged to being free and the problem is, according to Paul, that 
most people who have been freed from their prison still live like slaves. Their, their lives don't match their standing. They don't live in light of their eternal portfolio. And so he writes a book basically all about that. I want to show you kind of how the book is set up. I have to warn you, I like to use this little screen, and if it doesn't work today, it's the first time we've ever done it, so you'll blame the tech guys. Uh, Just kidding. Um, I'm just going to circle a bunch of stuff here and and just let you see what I mean. So this is from Ephesians uh, 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, what has he done? He, He has blessed us in Christ with, look, every spiritual blessing. You guys, you're free. You're at the edge of the chicken uh, barn. You're, you're looking out to the free world. You have everything you need to live a free, open life. So Paul says four, uh, four chapters later in, in chapter four, the beginning, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I, I, I urge you to what? Walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What? Well, as free people who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son. Be who you are. If you want to, if you want to put a, a tagline over Ephesians chapter 5, be who you are. So look, this passage, Ephesians chapter 5, basically makes the argument uh, in four different areas. Paul's going to go through four different areas of how you ought to be who you are. They're very practical areas. So let's begin with verse 1. The beloved, he says, uh, walk in love. Those who are beloved, those who are loved by God, walk in love. That's who they are. So, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, uh, be, be imitators of God. As beloved children and and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now you you notice I underlined imitators there. And that's a reason, there's a reason for that. This word actually means to be an an impersonator. Uh, It's what you do when you're trying to do the voice of Joe Biden or Donald Trump or, you know, whatever. It's an impersonator. Um, I have to tell you about my first sermon ever. Uh, I, was, I was discipled uh, as a young guy. I came to faith in Christ kind of in, in early high school. And then I was immediately discipled by uh, Ken Hutcherson, who passed away a while ago. You don't, you don't need to know that, that name, but uh, Hutch was a former football player. Six foot two inch, 265 pound black man who decided to take me and a number of other white kids under his wing to teach us how to do ministry, how to love Jesus. And we'd go to his house every Monday night, and we'd sit in a room together, eat chicken wings, and listen to Hutch tell us about what it means to follow Christ. Um, Hutch was a dynamic speaker, uh, but dynamic in an African-American way. And the, the way that I, listen, I, I didn't attend a lot of churches when I was younger and pay attention. I did attend a lot of churches, but they were always kind of like, mainline churches with the robes, you know, and so the first time I ever really engaged with anybody who was a gifted communicator was, was with Hutch. And he had a certain way, okay? Like he would say stuff like, 
while he was preaching, he'd say, I like that. You know, if he made a good point, I like that, right? He was congratulating himself, right? And, and he would take his Bible, they would bring the pulpit out, and he'd put it right in front. And he'd grab his Bible, and he'd look at the pulpit. And he'd march forward, and he'd drop it, and just go, man. <laughs> he was fantastic. Anyway, so this is how I learned what it looks like to preach the Bible. So anyway, I, I, the first job I ever got, my father-in-law hired me, total nepotism. He hired me to be the, the youth pastor of a church in, in eastern Washington State, middle of the wheat field. Uh, all white, all farmers, uh, probably had never been to anything like an African-American church in their, in their lives. In fact, most of them would be like, I don't, I don't know. I get to preach my first sermon. Father-in-law says, you're up, I'm out of town. Okay? So here's what I do. I, I, I come in, and Hutch used to sit in the front row, and he used to sit with his arms on the chairs, leaning back with his, so I did that. I came in, my Bible, walked to the front row, leaned back, put my thing like this. We were singing the songs, doing this the whole time, right? That's what he did. Time for me to preach. And I came up. All right, come forward and start going. Hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> like half the people were asleep. The other people were wiping their feet. I kept saying every time I liked something, I said, ooh, I like that. And make a point, ooh, I like that. Hey, what do you do? You, you, you impersonate. You impersonate the people you respect. That's how we learn how to do most things. Shoot a basketball. That's how we learn how to publicly speak. That's how we learn how to do almost everything. So what Paul is saying here is like, I want you to be imitators of God. I want you to be impersonators of God. Why? Well, look, guys, your beloved children. Listen, he's not saying be impersonators of God so that you might be beloved children. He's saying be impersonators of God as you are beloved children, therefore impersonate daddy. Act like daddy. That's who you are. This is very important for you to get that reasoning in your mind because that is biblical reasoning and not religious reasoning. Please hear me. There's a difference. Most religions in the world... And many believe Christianity is the same. If you talk to people outside the church and in many churches, they believe that, look, the way it works is that I do a whole bunch of good stuff, right? I, I earn credit with God, and then he repays me for the credit that I have. You ask most people, like, what's going to happen at the end of your life? You stand before, well, if there's a God, he's going to weigh up all my good stuff and then my bad stuff. And if, the, you know, if it balances you know, to the good stuff, I'm in. So you earn from God the blessings. That's not Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says, no, no, Christ earned the blessings. He gives them to you by faith. And now you work. And now you imitate. You don't imitate God in order to gain blessings. You imitate God because you've already got the blessings. Big difference. Notice, though, imitation is the same thing. You look at somebody, they might look the same, but the motivation for one is not the motivation for other. If you guys, listen, if you keep trying to imitate God, trying to get something, you will burn out and get very angry with him and walk away. But if you 
have Christ, if you have the blessings, you will always keep going because it doesn't matter how well you do or how poorly you do, you still will have the blessings. And your life becomes a, a thankful offering, a thankful offering to God. So we're beloved children. Listen, this is actually what happens in most of the scriptures. You have in Exodus, so this is where the law is given in Exodus. You know, people come across the Red Sea from Egypt. And they're standing there at Mount Sinai and they're going to get the law given to them here. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who did. He brought you out of the land of Egypt. See, look at the grace I've shown you. You're out of the land of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. So that's the first commandment. Which order is it? Hey, hey, uh, do this thing so that you can get free. Or... Hey, you're free, chickens. So do this thing. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So how? What, what exactly are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to walk in love. As Christ loved us and, and, and gave himself up for us. We're, we're supposed to show that we love God by imitating him, particularly in the way that he loves, which is giving. The love, of, the love of God is giving. Have you ever thought about asking young parents, uh, and those of you who've already gone through, have you ever thought about asking them why it's awkward when they tell you, oh, I have no sleep, and it's so hard, and my, my child's up in the middle of the night, and they're not doing it well, and they've got this cough, and I don't know what to do in the middle of the night. Sometimes they sound like a seal, so I take them to the hospital. Like, and they're exhausted. They're drooping their heads and something. You ever just thought to yourself saying, hey, why not just not do this? I know that sounds mean. But why do you do it? Why do you do that? Why, why when they get older, do you start, like, you wake up at 4 in the morning, and you drive them to hockey practice? Hockey practice. And what are you doing? Are you nuts? Why do you do it, though? Well, you tell I love them. Right, and I know that you love them because of what you're willing to give for them, yeah? And that's the way love works. See, you know that Jesus loved you because he's willing to give his life for you. You know that God loves you because he's willing to give his son for you. You always know how much somebody loves you by what they're willing to give for you. So, Paul says, look, how much are you willing to give? Jesus is willing to give everything for you, so walk in love. Walk in that love. Imitate God and the way that he acts in his love toward you by imitating exactly that. Give yourselves for one another. So, I was counseling a guy one time and his wife that came in, sat on opposite sides of the couch. You always know you're in a good state here. Opposite sides of the couch. And she... She was, she was trying to explain that she doesn't feel loved in their relationship. And the reason that she doesn't feel loved is because um, he won't, financially, we are in dire straits, and he won't give up his pickup truck, which is costing him, I don't know how much money, every month. I pleaded with him, I, I do the money, I do the numbers, she says, and if he gives up the pickup truck, I'm willing, you know, like, we, we might make it. So it seems like an easy counseling moment for me. So I looked at the guy and said, what's, what's up? He said, man, I, I worked hard for that truck. 
It's, very, it's a very important truck. I said, do you love your wife? And he said, oh, yes, I love my wife. Absolutely, I love my wife. But you won't give up the truck. No, you're a liar. This is why people don't come to me for counseling, by the way, right? It's... <laughs> I said, you're a liar. Are you, are you kidding me? If, if you're not willing to give up something like a truck, dude, it's a truck. If you're not willing to give up the truck for your wife, don't say that you love her because love is fundamentally giving to other people. And that's the love that God calls us to. And so you and I are pressed even at the beginning here by asking ourselves, is there somewhere that we are deceiving ourselves like my counseling friend? No, no, I love, listen, I love my wife. Yeah, what are you giving? I love God. Well, okay, but what are you giving? I love my neighbor. Are you willing to give them the forgiveness? Are you willing to give them the benefit of the doubt? Or are you willing to, like, don't use that word. Don't use that word love if you're not willing to do what it says. Why? Because you're the beloved. The beloved of God walk in love of God. That's only the first point. You guys are dead. <laughs> all right. Back to the passage, all right? So the first is uh, the beloved walk in love. The second is the holy reject unholiness. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, right? So he mentions three things here. Sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. This word sexual immorality uh, right here, this is the Greek word porneia. You can hear it? Porneia. So it is a, an umbrella term. It's a catch-all term. You say, well, what are we talking about here? Uh, and it means all kinds of sexual immorality. It, it, it means uh, homosexual action. It, it, it means uh, uh, having any kind of sexual uh, experience or contact out of a one-man, one-woman sexual relationship. Any, any of it. Married, one man, one woman. So he says, look, look. Don't let sexual immorality be, be named among you. Now, again, in the background of, of Ephesians, especially in the city of Ephesus, you need to understand that's like a big thing. What he just said there is a really big deal. Because in Ephesus, they had a big temple to this, this goddess named Artemis, and part of the worship to Artemis was visiting the temple prostitutes. Like, that was encouraged. Hey, you want to be a worshiper of Artemis? Go over there to the temple prostitutes. It's your worship? So the guys would always be visiting the temple prostitutes, husbands, also, you need to understand, the only powerful people in the community were, were, were males. And if you were a guy, and especially a guy of high standing, it was expected for you to use your power and fame to coerce other people, women and men, into sexual experiences. So if you could find a young boy and groom him, it's what we call pederasty. If you could find him and you're a real high-standing guy, people would not come over and say, oh my goodness, you, you should be in jail. They would come over and go, good for you. 
You're a man, they would say. If, if you would treat you, women by drugging them and having sexual relations with them, and that came known, people wouldn't be like, oh, me too. They instead would be like, huh, good for you, you too. Good for you. That's, that's the beggar. So when Paul says something like, okay, no sexual immorality or impurity. No sexuality or sexual immorality or impurity. And you can hear the Ephesians just going, whoa, that's different. So why should we do that, Paul? Well, he's going to say it in a second, but notice this next word. Covetousness. We don't use that word very much, the ESV. Oh, let's use covetousness. The word means greed. Okay? Sexual immorality and all impurity or, or greed should not be even named among you. So you know what this greed is? Man, last year I got an iPhone 11, last summer, okay? And then they came out with the iPhone 12, like three months later. And I was like, oh, man, I only have 11. And that one's a 12. And it has something like 5G something. I don't even know what that is, but it's way better than 4G because it's one more. <laughs> so I got my 11. And now I'm really sad because I want to have... A, tw a 12. And sometimes you come across people. I've got an 11. Sometimes you come across those weird people who have like, I have an iPhone 4. <laughs> Dude, do you not know that yours is seven worse than my 11? <laughs> seven. Seven worse. And a 12, it's like 12s are three times better than your, than your four. I actually think that this 12 probably can launch missiles. It does all sorts of, do you know that? It, it glows in the dark, it launches missiles, it'll make you, you know, attractive to the other sex. I mean, until they come out with the 13, and then you totally get the 13. Because the 13 is one more than the 12. Did you know that? It's one, it's one more. This, this drive that we have, that, that is like we, we are never satisfied with what we have and always striving for something more, that's great. And you say, yeah, but that's everywhere in our, in our society in the West. Uh-huh. That's what the advertisers want you to do. Have more. In fact, they'll say, dude, you should, you should drive forward the economy. You're a good American if you do this. Buy more, have more. That's great. And it shouldn't even be named among you. Did you hear that? It shouldn't even be named. Among you. What does that mean? That means that the people outside the church, when they look at the church, they should not be able to say, you know what those guys are like? A greedy and sexually immoral. So if I go to Navy Pier today and I, is it still closed? I don't even know. If I go to Navy Pier or downtown Chicago and I do that Vox Pop thing, you know Vox Pop, you, the, you, you, the, the voice of the people, you go and you, and you ask with your microphone, I am live from downtown Chicago for Harvest Bible Church. This is Jeff Buckham. Reporting, uh, we just have a question for you, sir. When you hear the name Christian, what comes to your mind? Now, in the current climate, I'm sure people would say, well, judgmental. Prudes, maybe. But it won't be very long, will it, before you get into words like uh, greedy, like all the pastors? Greedy. And, and what about the, the Catholic Church scandals and the Southern Baptists and all sorts of other scandals with sexual immorality that the church hid? 
there's the Me Too movement and then the Church Too movement because there were so many people in church who were like, mm, I don't know if we're a whole lot different than, than them. And so you're going to get words like greedy and sexually immoral. And yet, guys, it's not even supposed to be named among you. Why not? Well, look, it's proper among saints. Saints is a word that means holy, holy ones. Holy means set apart. So if I have a bunch of rocks in, 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 a, in a group and I say, well, I like this rock, and I pull that rock out and I start to polish it up and I grind it away and I turn it into something really pretty that I can sell you at the market, I have essentially sanctified, I've essentially set apart, made holy that rock. And when you look at that rock and then you compare it to all the other rocks, you should be saying, hmm, there is a qualitative difference between that rock and all the others. So why should you look this way? Because you are this way. You are not part of the rocks. You are saints. You are holy. God has made you such. Therefore, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness should not be named among you. Be who you are. So the holy reject unholiness, right? The blessed, third, talk about blessings. So he goes from actions, and now he's going to go to your, to your words. Uh, let there no, be, be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Three words, right? Filthiness. Let me just deal with the first two. Filthiness. Uh, what is that? My, my two, I have two sons. My two sons learned every uh, bad word in the driveway of my, my home. Um, sometimes I just let loose. I'm kidding. By the way, that's not, that's not sure. It wasn't me. Some of you are like, oh, you guys did the, your homework when you vetted him. Um, we had a next-door neighbor. His name was Gary. Gary was uh, a construction worker. Gary was a, he was a really nice guy, but every day after work, he would get together with his buddies. He had turned his garage into this man cave thing. It actually had a bar in it and TV screens, and they would sit in, under the awning in the middle of winter. They'd sit under the awning with the garage door open. My kids would be out in the driveway, summertime playing basketball, doing whatever, and these guys would string together words that were, I mean, it was pretty impressive, actually, how they used the different words my kids would come into the house and say, Dad, what does beep mean? Sorry, where did you hear that? Gary. <laughs> Two days later, Dad, what does beep beep mean? Where did you hear that? Gary. Oh, my gosh. So they, they learned how to swear from, from Gary. Uh, that is filthiness. It, it's, it's the sitting around and using filthy language. That's, what, that's what's meant here. What's foolish talk? Well, foolish talk is what happens when a lot of boys get together and they go into the put-down battle. Guys, you, remember, you know that? When you're growing up, sometimes even now, when you talk about the Bears, right? It's, well, at least they don't cheer for the Raiders. They're useless. Really? A Bears fan is saying that? Give me a break, man. And then it, it starts from sports and then it moves into you personally. Dude, why are you so short? Why are you so short? Seriously. And... Well, at least I'm not fat like you. Really? I'm, I'm fat? Yeah, you're way fatter than I am. So it just devolves. That's, that's what's meant by foolish talk. There should be no foolish talk, no filthiness. 
No crude joking. Why? Uh, they're, they're out of place. Do you see the reasoning? There it is again. Look, if you're a free chicken, don't, start, don't live like you're in the cage. You, you've got you to actually be who you are. James, uh, the apostle, when he writes his book, he really gets into this. He's basically, his argument is essentially the same. Here's James chapter 3, verse 9. He says, with, with, speaking about the tongue and how we speak to one another, he says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. Well, if that's the case, then you are a grapevine and you are a fig tree. So why are you producing olives and figs? See his reasoning? It's the same reasoning. Who are you? A fig tree. Who are you? A free chicken. Who are you? You're people who talk differently. So be who you are. Uh, This passage in Ephesians, he does the negative, right? And why you shouldn't do it, but, but he also gives you the positive. All right, so, so Paul, if we're not supposed to have crude joking and all the bad stuff, what exactly are we supposed to do? Um, uh, let there be thanksgiving. In other words, Christians should be marked by their thanksgiving to God. You, you need to know this, that throughout the scriptures, you will find that thanksgiving is a mark of the regenerate. It is a mark of those who are filled by the Spirit. It is a mark. So in Romans 1, Paul actually, he's describing those who are not regenerate. He's describing people who are, uh, you know, who, who are living far from God. And he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? They didn't give thanks to him. What's the mark of those who are far from God? Well, they don't think give thanks to God. They become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. Ephesians 5, just a few verses later. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's the main point, be filled with the Spirit. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's one way. Singing and making melody to to the Lord uh, with your heart. And what? Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I know that you're filled in the Spirit? Because I am really expressive in worship. No. How do I know you're filled by the Spirit? Well, you give thanks. In every circumstance. One of my favorite stories is uh, Corey Ten Boom's story in her little book called The Hiding Place. Uh, her sister Betsy was an amazing woman. They were together in a, uh, in a, a concentration camp under the Germans in World War II. Uh, they were supposed to not have a Bible there, but for some reason in God's providence, they were able to hide a Bible. When they first came into the, into the camp, they were able to hide a Bible. They <laughs> were naked and everything. They were holding the Bible, but the guard just went by. So they have a Bible. So they gather together in, in the room sometimes and try to open the Bible and read it with their friends, but they're always really worried because if you get caught, you're going to get killed. So finally, they get moved to this this big barracks, 
And they go to the corner of the barracks where they're supposed to sleep. And in the corner of the barracks, there's something all over them. It's fleas. All over them. And that's what Corey's had it. She's like, God, what in the world? This is ridiculous. It's horrible. It's terrible. What are you doing? This is so dumb. I've got flea bites everywhere. Well, time, time goes on. What they end up learning, though, is that for some reason, they're able to have a Bible study in the flea-infested place that they weren't able to have elsewhere. They have this Bible study, but it's almost like the guards pass by. Like when they came in, they just sort of pass by. They look over. They see them gathering together, all these women, having a Bible study. They look over, and they don't come. The, the guards don't come. They're like, whatever. So Corey's complaining about the fleas, but Betsy says, look, it says give thanks for everything in all circumstances, Corey. <laughs> Corey's like, oh, please don't be that spiritual person right now. <laughs> right? And we know that God works all things together. Stop it. But Betsy, she won't be put off. She'll, no, listen, this is the truth. All right. Thank you, Lord for us being in a concentration camp and for the fleas. Is that good enough? You didn't mean it. Thank you, Lord, for the fleas. I know you're going to work this out somehow. I have no idea what it is. Okay, we're done. So they go off. A few days later, this is what Corey writes. She says, one evening I got back to the barracks late from wood gathering a wood-gathering foray outside the walls, and Betsy was waiting for me, as, as always, so that we could wait through the food line together. On this day, her eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. <clears throat> she said, you know, we never understood why we had so much freedom in that big room. Well, I found out. That afternoon, she said, there had been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they asked the supervisor, the Nazi guard, to come and settle it. But she wouldn't, Corey, Betsy said. She, she wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. You know why? She said, I'm not coming in there. That place is crawling with fleas. Moral to the story, we all have fleas. Come on, that was funny. But you do. I do. You, listen, you, you, we all have something that we complain about like crazy to God. We, I don't like this. I don't like the fact that this, man, I've spent all week complaining to God about all sorts of stuff. What are you doing? We have all sorts of things. And God says, no, give thanks. That's a mark of a true Christian. Why is it a mark of a true Christian? Because it submits to the sovereign and providential authority of God. You're basically saying, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm not going to be like I used to be. I'm not going to live like the rest of the world lives when they just shake their fist at you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be frustrated with this thing because I don't like it, but I also am going to remind myself that God is good. And he will work out his purpose. So the blessed talk about blessings. Here's the last one, all right? The true ignore the liars. Verses 5 and 6 here at the end. For you may be sure of this, uh, this is a, an interesting statement. You may be sure of this. It's like elevating the tone. 
All right, I need to tell you something right now, and you can bank on it. Do you understand? You can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, that's that word again, or impure, see, it's the same word as we had before, or who is covetous, remember, and it's idolatry. Why is it idolatry? Because you're putting all your hope in this money, in this stuff to give you joy, and it's always fleeting, isn't it? Like you get it, and you're like, oh, I'm right, I got an iPhone 11. Oh, no, I need an iPhone 12, right? You get that. But that moment of pure bliss is fantastic. And so we keep chasing it, chasing it, chasing it, think it will fulfill, but it won't. What do you call that? It's idle. Anyone who's sexually immoral, impure, covetous, that's an idolater, has, here it is, no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Just so we're absolutely clear here, you do, you do hear what he's saying. He's not, he not, he's not saying, hey, you know what? If uh, you do these things, you're just going to be like a lesser Christian. If you live and are marked by unrepentant sexual immorality or impurity, hear me, unrepentant. Everybody struggles in some way in the modern world with sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. That's what it means to live in the West. But the mark of Christians is that we're repentant about it. We recognize God's word on it and say, no, I don't want to be there. Sanctify me, Lord. But there are those who call themselves by the name of Christ, right? Because this book is written to what? A church. These words are said to Christian people, just like you, just like me. And Paul says, I need to let you know this, that anyone among you, anyone among you who might have said, oh, I believe in Jesus, I worship Jesus, anyone among you who continues to persist in unrepentant sexual immorality, impurity, and greed is not inheriting the kingdom. They're going to be in that inheritance meeting and the lawyer's going to go through the whole thing and at the end of it, you're going to be standing there and you're like, what's going on? I thought I was a child. Nah. I never knew you. Now listen, what people do when pastors like me say that kind of thing is they go, whatever, online, there are a lot of other people who think differently. I'm just going to go find that website. Paul knew about you. Look. Look. Let no one deceive you <laughs> with empty words. Guys, there are going to be people coming around and they're going to say something to you like, oh, no, you don't need to listen to that. That won't actually happen. God's going to accept everybody. It doesn't matter. Did you pray a prayer? You're in. It's good. It doesn't matter if it bears, bears fruit in your life or anything. You're in. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, secular morality, greed, purity, Foolish talk, filthiness. The wrath of God comes upon not the sons of God. You actually are a son of disobedience, a child of God. Do you remember when at the beginning of the Bible, oh, let me finish here. Do you remember the beginning of the Bible where Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're naked and happy as we all should be? Oh, come on. I, <laughs> That's how God made the world, though. Come on. <laughs> so there they are in the, in the garden. And the serpent comes to, to Eve, and he says, uh, so what's, what's the deal with the, 
with the trees. You can't eat from any of these trees. And she's like, no, no, no. We, we, we can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or even touch it. Or we will die. What's the line that Satan says right there? <laughs> you won't. You won't die. Oh, come on. It's not that big a deal. Why are you so obsessed with sexual immorality, you Christians? Why are you so obsessed with the way you talk? Stop it. This is what's wrong with the church. Say so many Christians, they, they, they emphasize these things and they declare judgment on people because they persist in unrepentant sin this way. That's the problem with the church. But don't be deceived by their empty words. For this reason, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Listen. The question that Paul wants to end this on is this. Are you persisting in unrepentant, self-justifying, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing, sexual immorality, greed? I earned it. Foolish talk. Do you bristle when somebody like me asks those questions? Well, listen. Maybe you're not what you say you are. Maybe the reason that you don't look like a beloved child of God who imitates their father is because you're actually not a beloved child but a son of disobedience. So here's the good news. You ever remember who Jesus hangs out with? Like, who does he hang out with? He hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes. The, the greedy and the sexually immoral. <laughs> like, they're, they're his people. The, the ones who have spent a good chunk of their time in that world, these, these are my people, he says. You should never leave church with a burden. You, you should feel the sting of God's law and the reminder of holiness, but you should never leave unhappy because you are good news people. And you know that the response, always the response, is repentance. You're right, God. You're right, God. Thank you for the love of Christ that forgives me of sin. Fill me with your spirit so that I can live differently. Always. So you walk out the doors today. Listen, you walk out the doors today. I hope you have a burden on your back that is being lifted as you walk, as you claim the love of Christ. And if you don't know that love of Christ, don't leave here without repenting and believing. Because God's wrath will come upon the sons of disobedience. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm thankful for your word, tough as it is. But I'm thankful, Father, that you press us with your law, that you might refresh us with your gospel. 
So refresh us now by the power of your spirit. Apply that gospel work that Christ has done, that surety that we are his to the hearts of those who are his. Let it show up in our repentance from these things and our renewed faith and commitment to you. Fill us with your spirit. And for those here, Father, who are not troubled by this, Father, help them be warned. (laughs) Help them feel the warning. And this week, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just bug them. Just bug them. That they would turn their lives back to Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you for my friends. Just to go forward in grace, we pray in Jesus' name.